Well, good evening, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 53. Our guest tonight is Rena P. Espaillat, one of, one of my favorite poets. Um, if, you, if you've been watching the show, you know I'm a big fan of formal poetry. I think Rena is the best, uh, one of the best formal poets writing today. Uh, so we'll get to her in just a little bit. But before we do, uh, let me say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry. And if you love poetry like we do, please help us out by clicking the like button, uh, making sure your friends are subscribed, making sure you're subscribed, making sure you click that little bell for notifications. Um, no matter what platform you're watching, uh, clicking something is really good. And it tells the uh, Silicon Valley overlords that uh, you care what we do. And uh, we hope you care what we do. So please do click something. Um, now we'll have an open mic later. And um, the prop poem for the open mic this week was write a poem for which the title is a line from your favorite song. So that'll be the prompt for later tonight. If you would like to join in on that, uh, I'll put up the phone numbers on the screen later. You can send me a chat message over Skype to Rattle Poetry or give me a call at 818-850-7727. That's our number, and I'll let it ring a few times. I will call you back when the time is right, but that's in about an hour. Uh, first, we're going to talk to Rena P. Espayat, but then, before that, here is your warm-up poem. And um, I just clicked the random button, as I like to do, and um, this is the warm-up poem here. This is uh, by... Uh, John Panetta, and um, let me uh, let me just read it for you. the The image in this poem is a very short poem, but as soon as I saw this in the name and the title, it, it popped right back in my head because it's such a strong image at the end. Listen for it. The conversation. Take the time, my brother, just a boy, sat alone in the house and spoke to the stray, nestled in a blanket, faded as the ocean is some days. The cat lay swollen with trinkets. Intent, my brother stroked a streak of wet hair under the cat's throat, curly-cued with fluid, as one by one its young slid out in a glazed wrapping, each cradling a purse of blood and blue meat, all of it a kind of food the mother struggled to eat. That was John Panetta uh, from Rattle Number 24, our tribute to Filipino poets issue. And um, I don't know what John has been up to, so um, I looked it up, and in the time since we published his poem, uh, John Panetta is now the author of six books. His most recent novel, Let no, Let's No One Get Hurt, was published by FSG in one of the 2019 Virginia's uh, Emil Jenkins Sexton Literary Award for Fiction. So you can find more of his work at uh, johnpanetta.com. Now, um, tonight's poet, as I mentioned, is uh, Rena P.S. Mayat. Rena's been in many issues of Rattle. We interviewed her in Rattle number 38. Um, and she's published her own original poems and several translations, including one coming up in the fall issue. Uh, she's published 10 full-length books and three chapbooks comprising poetry, essays, and short stories in both English and her native Spanish, uh, translations into both languages. Her national and international awards include the T.S. Eliot Prize in Poetry, the Richard Wilbur Award, the Nemirov Prize, the May Sarton Award, uh, the Robert Frost Tree at My Meadow Prize for translation, uh, several of her honors from the New England Poetry Club, the Poetry Society of America, the Ministry of Culture of the Dominican Republic, and a Lifetime Achievement Award from Salem State College. Um, she's a frequent reader, speaker, and workshop leader, and is active with the Powwow River Poets, a literary group she co-founded in 1992 
You can find more of her work at rinapespayat.com. That's R-H-I-N-A-P-E-S-P-A-I-L-L-A-T.com, rinapespayat.com. And uh, here she is, Rina P. Espayat. Hi, Rina. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm glad to be here. Hello, everybody. Oh, it's just my pleasure. Um, you know, we, I don't know if you remember when we interviewed you. It was 2011, I think. And uh, right. we met in Los Angeles at a hotel room. And, um, and I just sat in like a fly in the wall. But it was a wonderful um, experience for me getting to hear you uh, talk poetry with Alan. Um, do you want to start us out with a, with a poem to sort of warm everybody up? Sure. This is from my book titled And After All. And it's, uh, it's the poem on page seven, which is titled Butchering. And the woman who's doing the butchering in this, uh, in this poem is my maternal grandmother. This is based on, on what I remember of my, my childhood. My mother's mother, toughened by the farm, hardened by infants' burials, used a knife and swung an axe as if her woman's arm wielded a man's hard will. Inured to life and death alike, what ails you now, she'd say, ungently to the sick. She fed them too, roughly but well, and took the blood away and washed the dead, if there was that to do. She told us children how the cows could sense when their own calves were marked for butchering, and how they lowed, their wordless eloquence impossible to still with anything, sweet clover, or her unremitting care. She told it simply, but she faltered there. Thanks, Mr. That was Butchering from um, Rena's 2018 book, uh, And After All, which you see on the screen there. And that's a great poem to start with. I was actually um, wondering if you might read that, because that, that last line, she told it simply, but she faltered, but she faltered there. Um, somebody mentioned in the um, in the blurb of this book that that's sort of a great sort of way um, to describe your poetry is that you're sort of telling these really deep personal human emotions in a very simple and direct way. Um, and, and, and then also I was wondering um, about um, you, know, you you talk about your your mother's mother here, your grandmother um, growing up on a farm. And, and I was looking back at the interview, and what really stands out in the interview that we did several years ago was um, your stories about um, how, 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 important to, to, um, how important poetry was to people in the Dominican Republic where you grew up. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and about how you got into poetry? Yes, it's amazing that you can stop in a, in a field, for instance, somebody wielding a hoe or a, or a shovel, and if you mention that you love poetry or that you write poetry and so on, they will put down the, the hoe and they will spout poetry because they, they don't read very much if they're farm workers, but they, they, they learn it by heart. And it makes such an impression on them and it, uh, it feels so important to their lives that they, they, don't, they don't forget it. So it's really, it's something like what goes on in Russia, where the, the, the peasantry is, is, uh, is used to poetry. And uh, they don't have to be educated in order to have that. It's not academic. It's part of their lives, their daily lives, which for me makes it very important. I, I, think, I think that poetry is an essential. I, I learned to write listening to my, grand, my other grandmother, my father's mother, who was educated, and who wrote, she never published anything, but she wrote very well. And she had a lot of friends 
who would come to the house and play their guitars or their violins or sing or what have you. And in between the music, they would, they would recite poetry. So I heard the two arts together. And because I was only four or five, very young, I didn't understand what they were talking about. They were talking about uh, tragic deaths and tragic love stories and historical things. I didn't, I didn't understand a thing. But I understood that the adults were having a really good time. I could see it. I could feel it. I felt it in my body. I danced to the rhythm. I used to stand at the door and watch the grown-ups doing this and, and swing from foot to foot because uh, the, the poetry moved me as much as the words did, and I understood the music better. Yeah. So I, I made up my mind I wanted to do something like this with my life, too. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned uh, dance. I was thinking about this just the other day. I can't remember. Somewhere I read um, there's a theory about what dance comes from, which I never heard before which is that dance was a way to um, move in a coordinated way so that predators would think that we were like one big animal and we were scary rather than... Um, <laughs> I have no idea how, how true this theory is, but it made me think about... And, and so, so the act of dancing and, and having a choreographed humanity kind of was a defensive mechanism to protect yourself in this wild, crazy environment. And it made me think since you brought up dance i was thinking about how poetry there seems like there's something related there that poetry brings us we're sort of like dancing emotionally or something and there's a sense of like self-preservation there a way that we we protect ourselves from sorrow or something like that does that does that resonate with you that makes perfect sense it makes perfect sense and also it's related to early ritual early religious ritual uh like human sacrifice only this is a lot milder yeah and instead of giving the, the gods a dead body or blood to spill, you give them uh, a dance. And they did a great deal of that in the ancient days. And, of course, dance has always been enjoyable, but, but it, it, it was thought of as a gift to the gods, mm -hmm. like music, like, sing, like singing, or playing the early instruments like the lyre and all those things. They, they're related to, uh, to religion, but also to something internal. I think that the arts, all of them, including poetry, have a connection to the unconscious that is un unbreakable. And that you watch children listening to rhythmical conversation, rhythmical talk, which is what poetry is. They move, they move to the meter. They don't know what meter is, but they understand it with their bodies. They move to it, and it's, it's a kind of pleasure. Yeah, yeah, it's always fascinating to me that, you know, we do the Young Poets Anthology every year, and um, just how good that young people can be, um, yes. it's just amazing, like, there's something innate that's, like, built in, we're, like, hardwired to love poetry in a way, and it's sort of sad that, that for a lot of people it goes away, which is an, a sort of maybe separate topic, but, um, but it's fascinating to, to watch children just write amazing poems like they do. Yeah, I think sometimes it goes away because we want to make we want to make them wise when they're not ready to be wise. They're too young to be wise. They're having fun, but we we give them assignments like uh, write a poem about liberty, <laughs> write a poem about faithfulness, and so forth. And and those are all abstractions. They don't mean anything to children. If you want to get a, a poem out of a child, say, bring me your oldest pair of sneakers. Oh, wow. And put it in front of me and tell me what these sneakers mean to you. What do they remind you of? 
because when you have them dealing with an object, with a real touchable thing, then you're getting to the gut, the, the core of, of experience of life. Yeah, wow, that's a great exercise. I, I teach, um, I don't teach much, but I do teach uh, young poets, um, usually in the summers, except for with a pandemic I haven't been able to this year. But, um, oh. but we'll have to do that that exercise definitely for sure that's a great deal have them bring in anything that they don't expect to be asked for mm -hmm. and don't use a single abstraction and you'll see what good stuff you get yeah yeah that's wonderful it's a great suggestion um i should say if anybody has any questions for rena um i'm watching both facebook and youtube so just leave your questions in the chat window and i will try to pass them along but let's hear a couple more poems rena and whatever you want to read is totally is great sure well, I started out with memory with my uh, um, grandmother, and here is one that's a little on the light side. A few years back, I had my gallbladder out. So I thought, you know, if you've had something for long enough and you part with it, you should say goodbye. It's only polite. It's only right. So this is called To My Gallbladder. On what page? On um, page 68. Okay. Is this goodbye to you? who for so long have shared my days and nights. So near my heart, I thought that we were one, but I was wrong. What guilt and whose is tearing us apart? Is it my long affair with cheese that grates on you? My glass of wine, or maybe two, with dinner. My refusal to lift weights or do the treadmill thing. And yes, it's true, I've had you tracked with cameras to see what you've been up to, but too late, no use. Too much has soured between you and me that I can't stomach. I must cut you loose. Had we confided sooner, who can tell? No more hard feelings, though. I wish you well. <laughs> that was to my gallbladder from, uh, and after all, and that might be a, I think I might um, have some gallbladder issues myself. Because if I eat anything fatty, it just kills me the, the rest of the night. <laughs> so maybe that poem will be for me in the not-too-distant future. Um, do you want to read another one? Sure. This is called December 31. And, and it's, page? It's, such a, it, it's uh, page 69. It's such a, a ritual kind of day. It's supposed to be important. It's supposed to be different from all the others. It's supposed to be the end and beginning. But of course, it's just a day like any other. But, um, but the expectation makes it special. It's called Two, T-O-O. -O. December 31, too rich a spread, too much of what there is, too strange, too bright, too many dishes tasted that instead of filling, feed the hunger, every bite promising to be perfect, but not quite, too much to want, when nothing but excess will do, spiraling skyward like a kite, and too late now to wish it any less. Too many pearls on gold and silver thread for needlework begun by young delight, finished by duty, if not left for dead. This tapestry, that kinship starved on spite, those pages never written, safe and white with cowardice, unwilling to confess what the light does that makes the dark contrite, and too late now to wish it any less. Too many books meant to be read, unread on shelves youth stocked when it believed it might. Too much meant to be said, but left unsaid that wanted saying when the time was right. Too much said wrong, too much held close and tight, that should have been let go, have been largesse 
flung free at once and never kept from flight. And too late now to wish it any less. Face in the mirror, reading by cold light that lines that spell your memory. Come bless what one more year decrees this final night. Much too late now to wish it any less. And that's a, that's a, 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 um, a ballad. It's a very strict form. It's eight lines to the, to the stanza. And it has to have that four lines and that four line short stanza at the end, which is always directed to someone, prince or lord or something like that. So I, I, I gave it to face in the mirror. Hmm, interesting. I, I never knew um, that the ballad form had a direct address to somebody at the end. That's that's news to me. Well, it's not the ballad. It's the ballad. Oh, the ballad. Ah. B-A-L-L-A-D-E. Ah, OK. Interesting. I never that's... heard of that before. Yeah, that, it's a French form. I love the French forms. I love to tie myself in knots, <laughs> and all the all the strict forms are wonderful because they. Well, what you do is is you kind of make a box, you know, you make a box out of language, and you climb into it, and you 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 start dancing in it because poetry is a kind of dance. So you dance in it, and you kick it from the inside. <laughs> So that you're threatening the box, but you don't quite break it. No. You always look as if you're going to smash it, but you don't. And that's the fun of it. The fun of it is, well, you have to have something to work against. Yeah, that's a wonderful metaphor. Um, dancing inside the box. Wow. Yeah. See, and you do. You box. kick it without breaking it. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, right. w- one of the things in the interview you mentioned, uh, talking about you know, formal poetry and how you write, is that you um, tend to write in your head which is unusual yep. for poets to do. Um, you sort of compose at least the first draft completely in your head and then write it down. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your process and how poems come to be for you? Well, I've heard about the marvels of, um, of keeping a diary. So I tried it because you try everything. And what happened is that every time I started writing a poem that wasn't finished in my head, it went away. It just went away and it wouldn't come back. <laughs> So I went back to my my old method, which is which was natural to me, which is to write it in my head, because as I told you before, I used to tell my grandmother, write this down for me. So I, I was used to finishing it in my head, and the first draft gets done that way. Then after that, of course, you you, you look at it with with the sane side of your head. <laughs> yeah. which, and you realize that this line doesn't work and that rhyme is no good and so on and you revise but the the, the revising is done by a different side of you Hmm. it's done by the the, the rational side that thinks and wants things to be perfect but the poetry that comes right away at first uninvited is uh, is from someplace else yeah yeah I always think of it as, as sort of we have this like conscious layer of our brain but then there's so much more lurking beneath that we don't have access to. And then poets find a way to sort of meditatively shut off that conscious part and let the um, unconscious part of our brain speak for the first time ever, you know? And that's what the, the beauty of poetry is. And then the unconscious has so much in common between people. And that's why poems sure. sort of take the top of your head off. They resonate with you because you you sort of that, that, you know, Neruda has that line that, you know, two solitudes touching each other. And that's kind of what the, the 
unconscious is because it doesn't have any access to other people. And then with poetry, it's like, bam, we can talk. (laughs) um, They're not listening to us. We can talk now. Yes, it's wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, With this this composing in your head, do you do it well um, doing other things? Is it sort of like you're, you know, doing chores and and driving and stuff and writing poems in your head? Is that how it works? Yes, exactly. I, I stand at the kitchen window, for instance, looking out the, the window over the sink, seasoning chicken or something. And, and the poem, it's not so much that I, that I get rid of the reasonable side in order to listen to this. It's that this other thing pulls at me, pulls at my sleeve. It sort of kicks me a little bit and said, hey, I want out. I want to be written. And I don't have anything better than you to, to, to do the writing for me, so get busy. And, and I, I think that that a great percentage of writing poetry is listening quietly. Mm. Listening quietly and not telling the poet what you want it to say. Not telling the poem what it wants to say. You let it tell you what it needs to say. Yeah, yeah, that's such a fascinating thing that, that so many poets mention that sort of idea of like letting the poem speak. And it's such an abstract yeah. concept, but every poet seems to have that sort of concept going on like there's something that like something that is not you is speaking and you have to not get in its way um yes that's a, that's a very good way to put it that you don't get in its way you, you you steer clear yeah yeah um so so josh williams asks um about your process with rhyme since we were talking about um formal poetry before do you proceed from a rhyme scheme with predetermined sounds or maybe even words that you want to incorporate, or do you just proceed from one rhyme to the next and find the words and sounds as you need them? Does this vary according to the form? Also, they find yeah, me. They find you? They find me. They find me. And sometimes I don't even know what it is the poem is trying to trying to tell through me. Uh, but I know that it's something that needs to get out. And I, I, the first thing I hear, because I'm, I'm an ear poet. Some people are eye poets, and they think in, in images, and those are gorgeous. It's another, another gift. But I hear the poem. I don't see the poem. And what it does is make me dance, and I, and, and I, I, hum, I hum sometimes, because it's a kind of music. And uh, what, what comes through is, is a drumbeat. So that's the meter coming through, and I don't really know what is in the beat. I just hear the, hmm. like that. And then eventually, if I listen carefully enough, words start to slip in, into the drum beat. And after I have a line or two, I say, ah, oh, so that's what it's thinking about. But I don't really know hmm. until it tells me. And then, and then what happens that not only the meter comes by itself, but the rhymes begin to slip in. Hmm. It depends on what the what the poem is about, what the um, um, the context is, and the context bring, brings its rhymes with it. Yeah. And there's always revision to do afterward, but you have to wait until it's finished. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Wait till it's finished to revise. Very interesting. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's very different than a lot of the advice that uh, other people give about writing. Um, um, a follow-up, a quick follow-up from Josh Williams. He asks if you've ever written a rhyme Sestina, and do you like this Sestina in general? I love the Sestina. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love the Sestina. It's a wonderful form. I'm trying to think if I have one in here. Um, I don't know. Hmm. I think... Uh, I, I, I have so many of them, but I don't know if it's in this book or if one of them is in this book. Uh, 
I will find one. I think I'll actually there's um oh he already read one. <laughs> I think two what? two which we already read is a rhyme to Oh wait no that's a that's a ballad. That was a ballad, yeah. right? But I'm looking at these certain words are are uh, repeated a little bit. I'm so glad to hear that there's a Sestina lover in the audience. <laughs> well, we had a discussion about Sestina a couple episodes ago because I happen to mention that I think of all the forms, I love formal poetry, but I think the Sestina might be my least favorite. Um, <laughs> least favorite. <laughs> because I mean, some people absolutely hate. Them. Yeah, it, it depends. I think, and what we came to to discover, I think, is that if you pick six words that are really meaningful, and then it's not just sort of six random words, then it adds a meaning to it, and the repetitions mean something. But a lot of times, oh, it yes. sort of feels like an exercise to me, which is the problem in my in my opinion. The reason I love the Sistina is that it's such a good such a good way to. Um, to get rid of um, of the things that bug you and bug you and bug you, thoughts that keep coming back that you can't get rid of. It's either something you're guilty about, something you're angry about, and you can't get rid of the anger. And it's a very good way to get rid of that because the repetition itself is like thumping on a table. You did it, you did it, you did it, you shouldn't have done it. And uh, and that helps you to, um, to, to lose the feeling or, or at least get rid of it. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to find a Sistina. Okay. Well, um, uh, one maybe uh, follow-up question to that. It's kind of on topic, but Angela Gartner asks, uh, what are your favorite forms? Um, is there? Do you have a favorite? I do. It's the sonnet. Yeah, yeah. I love sonnets. The sonnet, yeah. is, the sonnet is one of the great inventions of the world. It's really, oh, it's, it's a marvelous thing. And what is it about the sonnet? Like, what what compels you? About well, it. it's so useful. It's so useful because it's got that 8-6 division, hmm. which occurs in nature, by the way, in a great many natural things, in plants, in, in minerals. It's that that ratio of 6 to 8, which has a name, but I forgot the, what it is. Fibonacci. Fibonacci, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the Fibonacci, right. And it seems to be built into the human being somehow. I don't know how that works, but... but you, it gives you a chance to do so many different things. For example, in the in the octave, the first eight lines of a sonnet, you can argue to the right. You can say, I don't believe this, 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 and this, and this. And then after line eight, you say, but on the other hand, and you give the other side. <laughs> or, or you start out by saying, um, I can't stand you. I don't know why I put up with you. And then the end, the last six lines end up being a love poem. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's argument and surprise, or argument and surrender. Yeah, or, or and yin and yang. Yeah, just the balance of, of the world in, in a way that yeah, it's, yeah, that any, yeah, anything stable has to have something pushing against it, or else it'll spiral out of control. <laughs> yeah, there are different kinds of sonnet, and they all have their advantages and disadvantages. But they're all they're all beautiful in their own way, and there is one. Uh, invented by an American poet named uh, uh, Mason, Margaret Mason, hmm. lived in the uh, early, lived in the 20th century, and I, I got to see her once when she was very old, and she invented this thing that is circular because the last rhyme rhymes with the first line. Ah. So it, it's the rhyme scheme works in a way that makes it circular, which adds some. It's a very intellectual form. Yeah, is there a, is the, there a couplet still in that one? So it's like. The last two lines rhyme with the first, or is it no? no. Okay, no. interesting. No, it's it's uh, A B C A B C C D B A D D A. Hmm. So the A's kind of close it like a circle. Yeah, yeah. But they're all 
kinds of play in between. I love that one. Mm -hmm. I haven't met a sonnet I didn't like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I know which one I have to read. Okay. I have to read your book. Wait, I know where it is. We'll just wait while she gets the book. The trouble is I've got too many books and I don't remember. I don't remember where things are. Let me see. This thing is called... Well, I'll tell you what. While I'm looking for a Sistina, while I'm looking for the Sistina, I just came across one of my own favorites that everybody asks me for when I read. So let me read this one. Because this is something really heartfelt. I wrote this when I knew that my husband was going to be gone soon. He had been sick for years, and, uh, and this came to me. Guidelines. Here's what you need to do since time began. Find something diamond rare or carbon cheap. It's all the same. And love it all you can. It should be something close. A field, a man, a line of verse, a mouth, a child asleep that feels like the world's heart since time began. Don't measure much or lay things out or scan. Don't save yourself for later. You won't keep. Spend yourself now on loving all you can. It's going to hurt. That was the risk you ran with your first breath. You knew the price was steep. That loss is what there is since time began subtracting from your balance. That's the plan. Too late to quibble now, you're in too deep. Just love what you still have while you still can. Don't count on schemes. It's far too short a span from the first sowing till they come to reap. One way alone to count since time began. Love something. Love it hard. Now, while you can. It's a beautiful poem. And I was going to ask about this, but I, didn't, I don't know how to do it sort of delicately, but in the interview um, that we did in 2012, Alfred was there, and one of the highlights really was him interjecting with his sense of humor. It was just hilarious. Like, he would be answering things for you, and um, in a way that was just really funny, and you could oh, see... My husband, you mean Alfred? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, um, yeah, and you just had such an, a beautiful connection, and, and how do you... You know, this is something that... that probably half of the people watching are going to go through at some point in their life. But when you have that connection with somebody and then you lose them, how do you go on it? I think it's been maybe five years since he died or something like that. Four, Four years. Yeah. It's extremely hard. I knew it would be, but it was even worse than I expected. I, you feel as if, um, as if half of your being were gone. Mm -hmm. Half of your person is just gone. My favorite half, as a matter of fact. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you, you continue because you have a family. You have friends, you have music, you have art and poetry, you have things that you love and care about. There are things that you want to further in the world, things that you want to advance. So you, 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 you rest on your loves, on your other loves. All the things that mean something to you come, come to your rescue. And they say, you can't go anywhere yet, you've got too much work to do. So that's, that's how you manage, and I'm, I'm keeping very busy. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're you're putting out books like nobody's business, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a Sistina. Okay. This one is called September. 
and it's about aging. This is the season. Oh, I should tell I should tell those who are not Sestina lovers in the audience, those who don't know what the trick to it is. You have six words that end every single stanza. There are six stanzas and a half stanza of only three lines. And the six words have to be used, but in a certain order. So that you hear the repetition of the same six words at the end. They're not called rhymes, they're called teleutons. And, um, and those have to move around in a certain very, very determined way. This is the season of the not quite over of branches green but thinning fanned away like fingers a child spreads to look again after those hide-and-seekers. Light is breaking where bloom was, folds of the world's body relearning the horizon, ponds reflecting, pondering less, season made for reflection but nothing deep, the geese have not flown over yet honking as if signaling the body to look after itself, to fly away if it can, or brace for changes. Breaking with summer custom, windows close again, silence returns, the neighbor mute again, waving, smiling through glass. Here's my reflection in slightly darkened air, the image breaking in two, one remembering sound, and over that, Another who's glad of silence, of the way things keep their distance now. Time for the body to come back home, to reacquaint the body with its slow unbecoming. Take again, after a summer spent giving away more than it had for good. Time for reflection, the first relieved containment, mulling over the meaning of this pause, this quiet breaking. Afterward comes a harder, harsher breaking, a wave more final that assails the body like recognition reached over and over. What was lost once is lost, still and again. The knowledge persevering, one reflection inside the next, unchanged, moving away. But while this kindly season has its way, there's nothing but a cloud of starlings breaking, wheeling, reforming overhead, reflections making deep the shallow pond, the body pretending it too has seasons, may again leaf to begin familiar cycles over. Better this way, better to let the body ease into breaking, seem to stir again, avoid reflection, forget how much is over. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, Cecina. And what were the end words for that? I think I... I was trying to pay the attention. End, can you think of any? <laughs> if you can think of any. Um, not off the top of my head right now. I'm, I'm trying to juggle <laughs> things. I was actually trying to find the text of the poem online while you were reading. It's over, away, again, breaking body reflection. Yeah. And then in the next answer, they're turned. Reflection over body, away, breaking again. And then again, reflection breaking over way, body and so forth, so that they always have a different position, but the same six words create the same, the same sense of, of abandonment, of loss coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what we were talking about before, was that if the words have meaning and they sort of add up to something, then that makes the Sestina really work. But if they're just sort of arbitrary, it feels like an exercise, I think. No, they have to come to you. Yeah. Six words have to come to you. You can't order them. Mm-hmm. 
and they come because they belong in the same context. They have something in common, like loss or excitement or what have you. Yeah. Um, you've already shared a lot of advice that's great for people who are um, um, you know, working on poetry themselves, which is pretty much, I think there's the interesting thing about poetry is that every person who reads and enjoys poetry becomes a poet because you want to participate yeah. in poetry. That's what poetry makes you want to do. Um, sure. but so, so you founded one of the great poetry workshops, or, or co-founded anyway, the Powwow Rivers Poets um, in Newburyport, which so many wonderful poets come through. Um, is there anything you can share about sort of how to start a poetry group um, and what your, what your philosophy is as, as you set it up and, a, and how it works? That's a very good thing to do. If you love poetry and you're in a place where you, you don't hear any, where you haven't met anybody yet, who, who writes it or who loves it, somebody with whom you can uh, waste a lot of time in the most delightful way. Start one. And you can start one by going to libraries, watching the people who are reading in the in the poetry section. Uh, if, you, if there are any poetry readings at all, go jot down the names of people whose work you like when you hear it. And that's how I started it here. I had started one in New York City, by the way, called the, the uh, Fresh Meadows Poets, and they're going strong. Oh, they have really? 50 members now. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. They've been going, they've been going since 1986. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I started another one halfway between the two cities, and here in, in um, uh, Newburyport, I started the, the Power River Poets, and they, um, we are now 31 and we have both free verses and formal formal poets, and uh, we all learn from one another. There is no teacher. We all uh, bring in poems once a once once a month. We hand out uh, poems all around the table, and everybody everybody throws rocks and says, "No, no, no! You can't say that again. You said it in stanza one, much better." <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think the secret there is a secret, and the secret is that everybody's attention should be focused on the work, on the poem, on the paper, not on the person who wrote it. You never say, oh, you did this, or you did that, you did this wrong, or you should have done... That's no good, because that's, that's an, a, a, an ad hominem attack, you know? You're attacking the person. Attack the poem. Say the poem doesn't sound as good in this stanza as it did in the other. Hmm. What, did, what, what did it do here that is different? And if you do that, then the, the poet is kind of divorced from it. He can be more objective and not get uh, not get prickly. <laughs> yeah, well, there does seem like there's a balance, because if you're too friendly, then everybody just says every poem is great and nobody gets any help. Um, no, but then if you're, if you're too hard, then you drive people away because it's it's a brutal experience that no one wants to participate in. So, so is there a way to strike that balance? Well, the way to strike it is to stay away from the person and stick with the poem. Yeah, yeah. That really is the only way, because then the person does not feel injured. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, and you, you never laugh. You never laugh or say something offensive. You say, the one you brought last time worked better because, because it did this at the beginning, and this one doesn't do that at the beginning. It doesn't invite the reader in. The one that you did last month invited the reader in. Yeah, yeah. So that you, 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 you make the, the poet better at what he does by giving advice based on his own work. Yeah. You see? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
Um, to, to go back to um, your husband's death, uh, Vicky Miko wanted to ask, um, she says, I would love to know a little bit about how and when you did begin writing about your husband's death. Um, was there was there sort of a, a period where you couldn't and then you started to? Or, or um, when did you start writing about that? Because we did publish several poems about um, his yes, death and did. rattle. Uh, if anybody wants yes, to go back, it's online and find him. Yeah. Well... I think the poetry started coming right away, because that's my reaction to grief. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's just it just comes naturally. My reaction to or to joy, to any strong emotion, that's what happens. It's as if, it's as if I were making a box of words, and putting the caustic stuff inside of it, all the dangerous stuff that you can't live with. You put inside this box of words. And it doesn't change anything. You know, the people you love are still gone. The things that are wrong with you are still wrong. But somehow you feel you can you can live with it because it's in that box. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a kind of therapy. Well, Freud said that the arts were man's first therapy. Yeah, it's interesting. I've talked to a lot of poets, and I feel the same way. I feel like um, the point of therapy is to, you know, we were talking about the different layers of your brain. Right. And, and I feel like the point of therapy, having studied psychology a little bit, is to sort of bring sort of all of your regions of your brain together. So you sort of aren't hiding anything from yourself. And, and, yeah. and that's and that's and I feel like that's what poetry does is that it, 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 it awakens your consciousness to the things that the unconscious knows. And so it's, it's that there's a resonance there that, that and that is the experience of enjoying a poem is to have that connection between the different regions of your brain. But then I talk to some people and they say, poetry is not therapy. Do not. And they get like almost like angry. Oh, <laughs> oh but yeah, it I, is. I know, not, yeah. because you make it, not because you make it therapy, but because it, because it tells the truth. Hmm. And the truth is therapeutic. Yeah. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's exactly what I meant. Like it's the, it's the, the, the truth that you're denying and, and coming to terms with the truth that you can't come to terms with is what therapy seems like it's all about. Although then, the, you know, I've never been to therapy. I've only read about it. So I don't really know. But um, it does seem therapeutic to me in that respect. Um, yeah. Well, because the things that, that you cannot face in prose, because they're, too, they're just too too out there in prose but if you if you sing it you know the thing that surprised me about poetry when i came here from the dominican republic i was in love with the music of it i thought it was all hand clapping and dancing i didn't know anything else but by the time i was eight i was writing in english and beginning to read serious poetry and i made a great discovery i said holy smoke this is not about fun and games this is not all about dancing and sweetness this is painful stuff this Pope Myth Man is writing about somebody's death. That woman is writing about this and that. And I realized the connection to life is is different. It's not an aesthetic connection. It's a psychic one. Hmm. It's a real life connection. So I saw the other side of poetry, the side that, that is that is not for for be, for having fun, but for getting rid of pain. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, for getting rid of pain. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good way it, to put it. Yeah. Well, there's one here about my husband, since you asked me. This is called After, and this I, I think this is the first one I wrote after he died. Is that somewhere that I can find? This is on page 108 of uh, And After All. Okay. 
which is a book that's dedicated more or less to the loss of of friends and relatives and so on. It's it's full of um, uh, full of dirges, but but it ends on an up note because life does. After, of all my images of you, is this or that the one to keep? The sick old man I washed and fed and diapered like a child, and eased to sleep with morphine and a kiss. Young, playful father, master artisan, I should say my husband was a good sculptor. Teacher, author of letters to the press in which your conscience spoke, unreconciled to the denial of justice. Mandolin strummer who chose me for a wife. Soldier home from the front, aged, though still less than 21, and aching to begin, given this second chance at life, your life. You gave yourself to me with ring and vow. I kept all of you then. I mean to now. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Those, the endings in, in the sonnet is just so, so powerful every time. Um, yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing I, that. That is a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a song. Um, we, we haven't talked yet. We have about maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes left. We haven't talked about translation yet. And, oh, um, I was. And, and yeah. you had about, you wanted to read some translations, but, but, um, I don't know. Maybe read a translation first, and then we'll we'll talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Well, I've I've written. I've uh, I have a whole book of Robert Frost translation. Can you see it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Algo hay que no es amigo de los muros, which is something there is that doesn't love a wall. Of course, one of his best-known poems. And this is one that isn't read very often, but I love it. It's called Desert Places desert places. And what I'd like you to do is listen to the English first and then listen to the Spanish and and see how the music repeats itself. It's the same rhyme scheme. It's the same meter. Snow falling and night falling fast, oh fast, in a field I looked into going past and the ground almost covered smooth in snow but a few weeds and stubble Showing last, it's a rubaiyat, like the rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, A-A-B-A-B-B-C-B. And his, the woods around it have it, it is theirs. All animals are smothered in their lairs. I am too absent-spirited to count. The loneliness includes me unawares. And lonely as it is, that loneliness will be more lonely ere it will be less. A blanker whiteness of benighted snow with no expression, nothing to express. They cannot scare me with their empty spaces between stars, on stars where no human race is. I have it in me, so much nearer home, to scare myself with my own desert places. And here he is in Spanish. And see if you can enjoy the the sheer sound. Soledades. Cae nieve y noche, caen con prisa, prisa, sobre un terreno que de paso se divisa, donde pocas malezas y restrojos apenas manchan la blancura lisa. Le pertenece al bosque que lo encierra. Las bestias se han sumido bajo tierra. Tan abstraído estoy que ya ni cuento. La soledad me incluye y se me aferra. 
y antes de aminorar la soledad ha de insistir en su severidad. Será blancura, nocturna, sin facciones, mensajes ni expresión, la nulidad. No me espantan con nombrar las vaciedades entre los astros donde no se hallan cofradas. Es parte de mi ser, aquí en lo mío, espantarme con mis propias soledades. Mm. Mis mm. propias soledades, my own solitudes. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, it's a wonderful poem. Yeah. He's, he's, he's one of my all-time favorites. I'd like to read something something from Spanish to English, if I may. Yeah, please do. Uh, and that's what we have in the fall issue, we should say. Um, is, is this the same poet? No, it's not. It's a different one. Okay. It's... Uh, Oh, come on, where are you? Oh, that's good, too. I, should, I wonder if I should read that one. Let me see. Oh, here it is. This is the famous St. John of the Cross, who was one of the great poems, poets of the world, religious poet, but he always pretended that he was writing love songs. This man wrote love songs to God, and some of them get downright sexy. <laughs> It's an amazing thing. It happened in the 17th century, and the English did it too, the metaphysical poets. This is called En una noche oscura, canción de la subida del Monte Carmel, The Dark Night of the Soul. And I, I will only read the first stanza in Spanish and then the rest, all of it in English. En una noche oscura, con ansias, en amores inflamada, oh dichosa aventura. Salí sin ser notada, estando ya mi casa sosegada. So you can hear the rhymes here. One darkest night I went, aflame with love's devouring, eager burning, O oh, delirious event, no witnesses discerning the house now still from which my steps were turning. Hidden by darkness, bent on flight, disguised, down secret steps sojourning, O oh, delirious event, hidden by dark and yearning, the house now still from which my steps were turning, in that most blissful night, in secrecy, since none had seen my going, nor did I pause for sight, nor had I light for showing the root, but that which in my heart was glowing. This only did the guiding, surer than the blaze when noonday showed, to where he was abiding, who was to me well known, where we would be together and alone. O oh, night that led me true, O oh, night more fair than morning's earliest shining, O oh, night that wrought from two, lover, beloved, entwining, beloved and lover, one in their combining. On my new-flowered breast, to him alone, and wholly sanctified, he leaned and lay at rest. His pleasure was my guide, and cedars to the wind their scent supplied. Down from the tower breezes came, while soft fingers winnowed through his hair. A touch that wounds and pleases caressed my throat with air, leaving every sense suspended there. I stayed, all else forgetting, inclined toward the beloved face to face, all motion halted, letting care vanish with no trace, forgotten in the lilies of that place. Oh, that was beautiful. Can you say again who that was and what the title was so people can find that it? That was St. Saint, saint John of the Cross, mm -hmm. Spanish saint, 
He was a saint. He became a saint, but he had been a poet all his life. He was a good friend of Saint Teresa. The two of them worked together, um, and and he uh, he lived uh, in the uh, the seventeenth century, sixteen hundreds. And, and where can people find that translation? Though is that in a book? Well, this is in Sewanee Theological Review mm. from uh, from the Christmas issue of twenty twelve. Mm. And it's in other places by now. It's been in, in a few places. But uh, this one has a whole, I think about uh, more than half the book is my translations of, of uh, poet, poetry of faith in Spanish. It says here, Spanish and Latin American devotional poetry translations by Rina P. S. Mm. So, should I read another religious one? Yeah, sure. Read whatever you want. We just, we're, we're all in awe. I'm, I'm reading the comments and everyone's just loving this. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, here. Uh, let me see. Oh, there are so many, and they're all so good. But has this come out in a, in a book at all that people can buy? Or, or, or are they just only in the um, literary magazine? Uh, I don't remember now if it's in a book. Well, it should be. <laughs> here, this is, this is a famous one. This is by a, by a monk who lived in... Um, in Mexico, in the 17th century, yes, or yes, the, the 18th, early 18th, it's called to Christ crucified, a Cristo crucificado, and he's saying um, he's saying something that's very hard to say, which is a, which is a perfect sonnet kind of thing, because the first eight lines are all about no, and the last six lines are all about yes. Listen for the listen for the emotional and intellectual weight of this. I am not moved, my God, by what you've sworn. Heaven promised me to love you well. Nor am I moved by fearful thoughts of hell, not to offend you more with sin and scorn. It is you, Lord, who moved me, you so torn by mockery and torture that befell your body on the cross those wounds that tell of injuries endured, the death you've borne. It is your love at last that moves me so that I should love you were not heaven true, and fear you were all hell an empty show. I need no gifts to make me cherish you, for were each hope betrayed that faith can know, I should adore you still, as now I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are just amazing. Um what is your your philosophy about translation? Um, you know, I always think about Montale, um, who the Storm and Other Poems by Charles Wright, which I love, but then they are nothing like the poems that Montale actually wrote. They're like he it's half Charles Wright, and um, nice. and 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 then and then but then so there's this conflict though because I read I read that book and then I read the uh, Aerosmith translation and it doesn't do as much for me. <laughs> And <laughs> and so I wonder, you know, it's just a it's a complicated thing with translations. But 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 what is your philosophy about sticking my with the poet? Philosophy. Yeah, yeah. My own philosophy is that you owe you owe something to the original and its author. You're you're a servant when you translate. You're doing you're doing something for somebody else, and it's not to show off your ability. It's to show off exactly what the original poet wanted to show. He you 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 owe a completeness and accuracy. If there are figures of speech, they need to be fi figures of speech in your translation, and preferably in the same context, mm -hmm. the same kind of figures. Um, you owe pleasure 
but you don't fix the original. Mm. If there's something in the original you dislike, you leave it alone. You do not correct it. You're not the teacher, just the translator. I think the translator should be clear as glass. It should let in as much as is there of the original and keep out all the smudges. It should be very clean glass. Hmm. Um, how, how do you go about doing it, though? Because so many poems are, are sort of rooted in, like, idioms and things that don't exist across languages. Is there a... I mean, it seems like well, that, a really difficult thing to do. Well, it is difficult, but you can do it. You can do it. Everybody... Everybody knows that translation is impossible because you really can't take one person's poem and move it into another language. You're right. Translation is impossible literally because you cannot translate word for word or even phrase for phrase or even line by line. You translate thought by thought. Mm. You translate feeling by feeling. It's the content that you have to grab, but then you have to put it into words that are as musical as the original or as unmusical as the original. Hmm. You have to be like that other person. You have to climb into that person's skin. And, uh, and you have to sometimes move things because every language is different. In English, you might have something in the first line that in Spanish has to be in the third line because you have to start with something else. Hmm. So you move things around so that the, the poem from over there sounds as if it had been written over here. Mm-hmm. And and it is the meaning that you're translating and the emotion and the mood. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear, you know, be, be explained as that is thought by thought. I never, I never thought of it that way. Um, there's sort of a related question um, by Kathy Huang. Um, she says, Rena, do you think your fluency in Spanish enhances your English poetry or vice versa? And if so, how? And then do you have co- poems that combine uh, both languages? Uh, no, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't like Spanglish. Hmm. I don't like English. I don't like any of the issues <laughs> because what they do is to destroy the vocabulary in both languages. Yeah, For example, if you have, if you have people who write a poem in half English, half Spanish, they say, open la window. And I can't stand that because then the word, then the word ventana disappears in Spanish. Hmm. I, what I what I am really is bilingual, thanks to my father. When I used to come home from school, I would start telling stories and throw in English words. And he would say, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Tell it to me in Spanish. If any human being can tell it, he can tell it in any language. You tell it in ours. Huh. So I was not allowed to speak English in the house. I spoke Spanish only. But everywhere else in the world, it was English. So I grew up speaking two. But if you mix them, what you have is not one and not the other. You have two halves, two half languages, which makes you non-lingual. That, that's interesting. Um, um, do you think, you know, you moved, I, I saw you moved to uh, New York City from the Dominican Republic when you were seven. Yes. Um, seven. And, and um, I guess you weren't, you, you spoke Spanish at home and then English um, at school and things like that, I, I assume. Um, do you think that that has something to do with why you became a poet? That, um, you know, it was difficult at first to sort of, was there like a loneliness that came with that, that sort of bled into poetry? Well, that, of course. I had lost an entire family. My parents were, were political exiles against a dictatorship that had murdered a great many people and, and they were out of out of sync with the government, thankfully. So uh, I grew up here, 
But I wanted to have two languages. My father was quite right. I have two, and I can compose in both of them and move back and forth through translation. And it makes me a kind of bridge between the two halves of my identity, which I love. Mm. I love that because now I have two families, two whole countries to myself. Yeah. And two, and I love both of them. I love both of them. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, we we have just a little bit of time left. We haven't really done any poems yet from the field. Um, do you want to, That's your most recent book, which came out last year. Sure. Um, yes. Do you want to explain a little bit about what the field is about? Um, if well, the field is, or uh, and then read a few poems from there to close out. <laughs> the field is a kind of, what shall I say? It's a kind of um, a res rescue. This is the book that rescued me out of the grieving. Hmm. This is the book that talks about nature and about things of this world. The field is this world. And also politics. There, there's a lot of politics in this, uh, in this book. And I, uh, uh, I, was, I was kind of... Yeah, you know, I noticed that. And I was wondering if, um, if, if Poets Respond, because you submitted some and we published some of these in Poets Respond. Yes. Um, yeah. And that, that's something I never at least noticed in your work before. Um, the, you know, addressing sort of politics and current events didn't seem like something you were doing much of previously. Is that something new or is that just my imagination? It's, it's something I've always thought about in prose. Hmm. I've always been interested in politics and what's going on in the world. But after, after I found myself alone, I said, good grief, my grandchildren, I have four of them, are going to inherit the world. And I have to think about what it's like, what I'm leaving them. It's a mess. It's a mess right now, at least for me. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so them. Well, here's one that's called "Rhymes with Banish." Oh no, that's too sad. I'm not going to read that. Okay. <laughs> oh, here's one. I love this one. But this is about this is about the Spanish conquest of the New World. And in this poem, I'm speaking like a ship. I am the ship, and I'm I'm telling the reader about the trip. And, and what page is that? This is page 35, and it's called, A Spanish Galleon Contemplates the Future. Above me, sky, and down below, the stream. Loud on the wind that fills my swelling sails, a swarm of raucous seabirds dive and scream, circling the rigging and the churning wake, where they hunt their food and ride the gales. Do they speak? in the exultant noise they make for the future, unknown and not yet real, but working to become. Under me, the current drags its weight against my keel, like chains pulling me home to Spain again. Wind and water keep me bound in two directions toward treasures of the sea and the familiar soil that bred these men, my rough, ambitious, restless, ruthless crew. They also hunt money, adventure, land, and carry with them everything they've known, that heavy burden, poverty, the cross, the force of power in another's hand, reckless energy, the need to act alone, a taste for profit from another's loss. How will they see the stranger, a new race, another's food and customs, gods and speech, weapons and rituals, color, odor, face? How will the other see them, as if each were his own man, or as a faceless horde to be received with loathing and reviled? How will the future judge and then record Spain's juncture with the undiscovered wild? 
España. The word ripples with pride in its long history of art, design, books in which the words are jewels arrayed as in a royal crown, or as each line of my body, calligraphy in oak, flows like a living being on the tide. Blessed by the Virgin's eyes, my gallery wears railings whose medallion squares evoke balconies, and the gallant artistry with which the lines of Spanish verse are made. Maybe these sailors, as live transplants do, will take root where they anchor, and at last earn what they seek to conquer, not through war, but through labor, the dream of something new, generous, risky, never seen before, more just and free than the retreating past. Oh, that beautiful. And that was um, Spanish Galleon Contemplates the Future from from the field. Read it. P.S. Ballot's most recent book. Do you want to close out with uh, one more poem, Rita? Sure. Here's one called Three Tenses of Light. And this is written in haiku stanzas. I love using the haiku as a stanza. Oh, in what page? <laughs> This is page 52, okay. and this one was set to music by a uh, quartet, and they performed it, and it's just beautiful music. Oh, interesting. Is that online anywhere that we could find, maybe? Uh, it's the, the Newber Report, uh, the Newber Report uh, qu uh, Quartet. It's, I, I think they have, it, they have it recorded, and you can hear it. That's cool. I'll try to find it and put it in the notes for anybody uh, watching this later. Okay. All right. Sky, meadow, and marsh. A trinity of waters, three tenses of light. Oh, I should tell you that this well, this was in response to a painting by one of the Newburyport Art Association painters, uh, Andrew Anderson Bell. My husband was a, a, the um, a president of that for some years. He was a sculptor. Sky, meadow, and marsh, a trinity of waters, three tenses of light. Tattered horizon, the far fringes of morning where new light rises, Daylight advancing, igniting sudden loose strife, taking the meadow. Cloud blue, flecked with sun. Noon wavering, gold water fringed with black grasses. Nothing here to cast shade, measure the afternoon's retreat, its fading fall into darkness over marsh and meadow. Sky, you patient watcher of all creation, bend to the sleeping water. Embrace it wholly through the dark hours, then rise to bring us again light's benediction. Oh, that was beautiful. Three Tenses of Light by Rena P. Espayat from her newest book, The Field. Uh, Rena, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Um, just been, I, you know, I've been looking forward to this since um, we agreed to do it uh, you know, a month or two ago, <laughs> and uh, it did not disappoint. This was really wonderful, one of my favorite episodes. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for this and for everything you do. Yeah, well, it's, it's just all my pleasure. I love poetry and hearing people, and um, especially wonderful poets like you. So thank you. And good night to all the guests. Yeah, yeah, good night to you too. Bye. Bye. Yes, that was Rena P. Esmayat, uh reading uh, from several different books, including translations. Uh, you can find more of her work at renapesmayat.com. Um, and that is our... Let me put that on the screen. You can see how, how to spell her name. It's Rina P. Espayat.com, R-H-I-N-A-P-E-S-P-A-I-L-L-A-T. Um, and she has a whole bunch of stuff. Um, this is the most recent book, The Field, which just came out last year. Uh, the year before that, it was And After All. 
Um, and um, she also has this book, which we didn't get to, Brief Accident of Light, which I was hoping to talk about a little bit because it's um, poems paired with these paintings about Newburyport. Um, and, and it really comes to life in the way, sort of like Patterson-like or something. So um, there's poems of Newburyport by uh, Rena P. Espayat and Alfred Nickel. And then, of course, we interviewed Rena in Rattle Number 38, which um, might be online. I can't remember if I, if I put that interview online or not, but you can check out uh, Alan Fox's full interview with Rena in Rattle Number 38. Um, so, so yeah, that was a wonderful, um, thanks so much to Rena, Rena for, for joining us on this show. I feel like that's one of those, it's one of those episodes that, um, people will come back to over and over again. Please do click the like button if you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, you know, but you have, uh, like a hundred people watching on various platforms and I only see like 33 likes. So click the like button if you would. Now, um, let's see. So, so let's do the open mic part of the show. And, um, it's prompt based. If you're if you're new to this uh, rattlecast, uh, we always do a prompt at the end of every every episode, and then you have one week to write a poem. And um, how does this? Let's see. Somehow I keep closing my my file, but here it is. So last week's prompt, or, or last week's prompt for this week was: write a poem for which the title is a line from your favorite song. Write a poem. For which the title is a line from your favorite song. Now, um, if you'd like to join us, so we have to say goodbye to Rena. Uh, if you'd like to join us again, um, you can email your poem to openmike at rattle.com, all one word. And then, and then after you do that, you um, send me a chat message over Skype, which is rattle poetry, all one word. That's preferred because then we can see you too. Uh, but if you don't have Skype, there's nothing wrong with that. You can just call over the regular phone, 818-850-7727. Once again, that's 818-850-7727. Let it ring a few times, uh, then hang up, and I will call you back at that number when the time is right. So as I mentioned, the prompt for this week um, was write a poem for which the title is a line from your favorite song. And I I mentioned I had trouble thinking about what my favorite song was. (laughs) And so I asked Megan, who knows me better than anybody else, of course, and uh, she said Freebird. And I said, you know, I mean, what's more cliche? I mean, it maybe is my favorite song, but uh, what's more cliche than some like middle-aged white guy who loves Freebird? So I didn't want to pick that. And then she said, well, of course, it's The Boxer by Simon and Garfunkel. So that's what I did. I did um, The Boxer. And um, I do love that song. She, she knows me. So um, here is my um, poem for today, which is a triolet. Um, and I always line a pocket full of mumbles, such are promises. So here's my triolet based on that line. Um, A pocket full of mumbles, such are promises, as soft as lint that gathers in the drier vent. And does it end? There is no hint. Such are promises, as soft as lint. Coins will tumble, clatter, glint, always ready to be spent. Such are promises, as soft as lint that gathers in the drier vent. Anyway, that was my little triolet. I, I like to do a short-form poem. Yeah, play Freebird. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Um, okay, so um, let's see what you have. Oh, wait, wait. I have to say, Megan's poem was nothing. Finally, there was a week where Megan didn't come up with something, and I did. So I have to do a little victory lap for that. Um, so, sorry. You know, you don't have to write a poem every week. Um, it's really hard to do, to write a poem every week. So, um I missed last week, and uh, Megan missed this week. Um, but let's see what you have. 
Um, let's see, who should we call up? We have Claudia Gary, uh, Brent, Angela, Gartner, um, Cameron Gray, Kathy Gibbons. Who is the first? Let's do Kathy Gibbons first. Yeah, so we're calling up, hopefully... Hey, Kathy, this is Tim from Rattle. Just let me pull you in. Um, here you go. How are you doing tonight? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hang on one second. There you go. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much, and thanks for calling. It was a wonderful reading. Thank you for introducing me to Rena. Oh, you weren't familiar with her work before. Yeah, no, she's one of those I poets that I hope, you know, and, and anybody watching this later after the fact or right now, um, if you teach poetry, teach Rena's work. I hope she's one of those poets that people read a hundred or two hundred years from now, because I just love her, um, her and poetry. And, tips for, you yeah. Know, um, so, so what was your what was your favorite poem? And um, I mean, not favorite poem, favorite song that you wrote a poem about. Well, that was the daunting part. I didn't think <laughs> I'd be able to write a poem either, because I didn't think I'd narrow it to an artist, let alone a um, song. And so, um, two days ago, I thought about maybe I could make a cento out of it, which would be to be true to the prompt and you know, and use a, a favorite song line in the title. And then also all the other lines in the poem would be lines from other songs. Interesting. Well, this is cool. So this is a cento of, of all your favorite songs. So we get the whole... Well, um, let's Kathy say G some yeah. of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we, we have the whole that. playlist here. Um, okay, so let, let's, hear, let's hear it. Okay, and the first, uh, the title and the last line are both uh, from the same song, Shiver Me Timbers by Tom Waits. I'll start out with that. He is one of my favorites, so... Uh, the clouds are like headlines on a new front-page sky. And at night, the stars put on a show for free. Like a bird from these prison walls, I'll fly. Some raven at my window with a broken wing. Pay attention to the open sky. Take the dark out of the nighttime and paint the daytime black. I wish I had a river I could skate away on, though the moon is broken and the sky is cracked. The water's my daughter, and I'll skip like a stone, smell the sea and feel the sky, the cracked bells and washed-out horns, starry, starry night sparkles before she speaks. No more cold iron shackles on my feet. I would teach my feet to fly into the mystic with flowers and my love both never to come back. Younger than the sun, I'd let soul and spirit fly. The only thing I can see is all that I lack. I could build me a castle with memories just to have somewhere to go. I've found a paradise that's trouble-proof. There's a sweet smell of home in the breeze, and I know, beyond a doubt, my heart will lead me there soon. Someday, they're coming back. Some say they're coming back in a garden, a bunch of carrots and little sweet peas. California, I'm coming home. Will you take me as I am with my body at home and my heart in the wind? Oh, that was really cool. I don't think I've ever heard a cento uh, written after um, music, um, you know, songs before. And just for the people listening and who can't watch, uh, we have some Tom Waits. We have Laura Nero and Gillian Welch, Bob Dylan, Jackson Brown, Joni Mitchell, uh, Van Morrison, some Bob Dylan again, the Rolling Stones, John Prine. Uh, Bonnie Raitt, Bobby Darren, Iris Dement, and uh, Joni Mitchell again. So, uh, yeah, that was awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that, Kathy. Thank you for letting me read. Oh, that yeah, my pleasure. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Have a good night. Bye for now. Bye. Let's see. Let's call up. 
Um, let's do Claudia Gary. <clears throat> Trying to find Claudia's poem really quick. Here we go. Um, let's see. Hello. Let's do. Well, hey, Claudia. So okay. I hear myself in the background. So before. Yes, I cut off. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, Thank you. Thank you for coming. Oh, my pleasure. Let me let me size you up here. Okay. Great. Um, okay. Now I see an email. Um, is it okay? If is it okay to read it without the the text? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Go ahead and read it without the text. Um, <laughs> Thanks. I thought I would get around the, the, the you know, publishing situation. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that. I wish there was some kind of resolution. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was always a question, but then, um, you know, with everybody doing Zoom readings all the time and open mics everywhere now, I think the industry needs to come up with a standard about whether or not. I, I just right. think it's I think it's stupid to call this publication, so I don't worry about it. Um, and, um, yeah, we, you, you asked a question here, actually, in the email, that would we ever consider publishing a poem that was read at this open mic? And, and of course, definitely. <laughs> Um, and, um, and we've published, um, I, I think we've published three poems, um, already from the critique of the week where I, you know, I would say, you know, if you, if you cut this line that I suggested in the critique, we'll publish it. And I think we did like three, maybe three times. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, let's just listen to it. So what do you got? Thank you. And Rena was a treat. Oh, it was so great to hear Rena. She's just a favorite. Yeah, she really is a favorite of mine too. Yeah. So this is called, um, Good vibrations? Question mark. Okay. Well, we know what song that's about then. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and it's um, um, after an earthquake, August 9th, the other day, um, which was uh, centered in North Carolina, and with a line from the Beach Boys. It's a it's a villanelle. I hear the sound of a gentle word, but in the Carolinas, it's a shout. Five on the Richter scale, overheard, under our feet, under tree and bird secluded pasture, marble tile and grout. During the sound of that gentle word, feathers and scales also monitored a strange disturbance. Digging in and out, they don't need Richter, they've overheard. Acres of skeletons, disinterred among the bougainvillea strewn about, all hear the sound of a gentle word. Over and over, I once preferred to sing of indignation, pain, and doubt. Five on the Richter scale. Overheard mutterings say we have grown absurd. We have no prince. A lout is still a lout. Where is the sound of a gentle word? Richter can't scale what we've overheard. Very cool. Was that in a certain kind of form, Claudia? Oh, I forgot to mention. It's Yeah, it's a villanelle, but I decided to use two different meters ah. to try to give the feeling of an earthquake. Mm -hmm. Oh, very so, cool. like The first and third lines of each stanza are in the same meter as I hear the sound of a gentle word. The tetrameter, and then the middle one is in iambic pentameter. Very cool. Just to yeah, get yeah, that was neat. Thank Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Claudia. Excellent poem, yeah. Great. Take care. Okay. Good night. Okay. Um, let's see. Who do we have next? Let's do uh, Caitlin Buxbaum. Hey, Caitlin. Can you hey. hear me? Hello. Yep. How are you doing tonight? Let me let me shrink you. Pretty you are good. always a giant. Okay. Here you go. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so, what do you? Is this is this a um a triolet too? It looks kind of like it might be. I did send you. You a did. Triolet. So yeah, yes. we both have triolets. And. I super love this prompt. I I wrote I also wrote a villanelle 
on a song lyric, and then I wrote, I started two other ones, but I haven't finished them yet. So. Awesome. Well, this has been a productive week, to... and yeah. Yeah, it it has actually. So this is a U two um, song, and I don't I don't recognize it. The trench is dug within our hearts. What song is that? Mm-hmm. I tried to pick a line that wasn't going to be super well known, but this is actually from uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Ah, okay, yeah. Well, that is and... a U two song I know. So. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's one of my favorites. I I definitely couldn't pick one, but I knew that that's okay because I can write multiple poems. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, go ahead whenever you're ready. All right. The trench is dug within our hearts. The trench is dug within our hearts. Our sharp minds have sent us reeling. And after we have drawn our charts, the trench is dug. Within our hearts reside all of the broken parts. And despite the time spent healing, the trench is dug within. Our hearts are sharp. Minds have sent us reeling. Awesome. The trilay, the trenches dug within our hearts. Thanks so much for sharing that, Caitlin. Always a pleasure to, to hear from you. Thanks for calling in. Yeah. Thanks for letting me read. <laughs> My pleasure. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Okay. Um, let's see. So we have like 10 minutes left. Um, let's go to... Um, trying to remember who we've done like, you know, haven't done in a while. Let's do, I don't think we've done Carla Schwartz in a while. Let's call it Carla. Hey, Carla, it's Tim. Did you want to share? Uh, oops. All right. Okay. It's me, Carla. <laughs> and um, I just muted my computer. Okay. We're good and, to go. Um, so, uh, so what was your poem written after? What's your favorite song? So uh, it's one I've been listening to a lot lately, which is uh, Dance Me to the End of Love by Leonard Cohen. Hmm. I've, I don't know that one, actually. I have to look that up after the oh. show. Yeah, well, look it up on YouTube because there's a really cool video. Yeah, definitely um, and this And this line from the song is called, Show me slowly what I only know the limits of. And this poem is, um, it is actually written as an, six lines, each being an American sentence. That is of seventeen oh. syllables. That's interesting okay. that you um, um, do an American sentence vert based poem because uh, today we'll talk about it a little bit in a minute. But uh, today I recorded the final little segment of next week's episode with um, uh, Paul E. Nelson, who does has a whole book of American sentences. Been writing one a day since two thousand one. Um, oh my god! So this is like the American Sentence Day. So so interesting right. coincidence here. Yeah. So. Um, Go ahead. This is show me slowly what I only know the limits of. Yes. You shout your violet fury for all to hear out our open windows. I close them and sponge as you bombard me with acidic vitriol. Look me in the eye when you declare you want to banish me away. Or open the windows and let the air sift across your crumpled face. Take my offered hand and inhale my understanding of your complaint. Let us sit here side by side. Exhale, exhale, until once again we quiet. Oh, that was very cool. Thanks so much for sharing that, Carla. And um, uh, we should say, I, I, I should have mentioned it, but if you don't know what an American sentence is, it's sort of like the American version of a haiku where um, – Every line is 17 syllables early. I mean, it's like it, it usually they're isolated. So it'd be one sentence, a one sentence haiku of 17 syllables. 
um, uh, um, Ginsburg invented this form, I think. Um, yes, so, I yeah. think so. Yeah, well, thanks so much for sharing that. That was really cool. Uh, and that was uh, thank and, you so much. It's a great night. Yeah, it was. I just love Rena, so it just it was fun no matter what. But then these the open mic is really good too. So thanks for sharing this, Carla. All right, take care. Good night. Bye. Okay, let's see. Let's do Brent. Yeah, Brent Stoffer. Hey, Brent, can you hear me? Yes. Let's see. Um, I don't have any. Can you can you hear me? I can hear you. It's a little quiet. If you can move closer to the microphone, maybe. I don't have video. Um, I'm not sure where the. Uh, <laughs> well, you're good. You're good. Every, Here you every, go. Bam. Every, every, <laughs> there we go. Okay. And every time the the Skype icon comes up and starts ringing, I am filled with fear because, <laughs> <laughs> because it's always a different or seems to me like a different technological hoop to go through to get everything going yeah just welcome to my world right? yeah every episode um yeah. there's something different and this time i logged into face or um youtube and i went to start we rena was already on the line and it said welcome to the new facebook layout or youtube layout and i was like thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> and so i had to figure out like which like the button it's the same stuff just the buttons move like this button used to be over here, now it's here. Like I don't know what the point is. They just try to mess with you, but um, but we all we yeah. all worked it out. So you're online, we can hear you, um, and uh, we can see you. And uh, so what, what was your what was your favorite song? Well, uh, like 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 everyone, I think it's not it's not my favorite song, um, and I had a lot of trouble winnowing something down. Leonard Cohen made. Simon and Garfunkel made that, but the problem with uh, lifting a lyric from one of them, especially if it's known, is that I then invite comparison to the original, mm-hmm. and um, some of their lyrics are so strong that I didn't feel great about that. Um, anyway, I finally said, well, what am I listening to right now? And um, I'm listening to a Peter Gabriel um, live uh, CD or album it's a playlist really but um, and um, the line is whatever fear invents and it's from a song called um, Come Talk to Me about um, trying to uh, initiate um, communication when communication is hard mm-hmm. okay cool well it's ready whenever you I'm, are I'm, I'm a little I'm a little ashamed that it's not formal. Every other <laughs> poem tonight so far has been formal. Oh, that's but true. But there are yeah. rhymes in it. Okay. Yeah. Well, there, the, there, there's rhyming. It occurs haphazardly. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's no there's no shame in free verse. It's it's totally fine. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, all right. Oh, and there has been. I wrote it in the last minute, and there has been a major edit already at the end that you'll notice. Okay. Okay. Um, it's mostly there. Okay. Whatever fear invents. If you spit out that rose, all my cowardly snipers would fall from the battlements. Send the raven from the long night of your black hair with a manuscript tethered above his ancient claw. Send an emissary by horseback or subway train. I know the terrain is rocky, unknowable, 
and full of years. Meet me under the blackjack oak or behind the Burger King by the tracks. Send an email through the bones I throw. Remember our unnameable daughter. Sing with me the songs we would have taught her. Whatever fear invents will hide its gnarled head under a trembling leathery wing to escape such brave and sad music. There's still much to know. My astronomers are eager to chart the freckles that dot your pale body far apart and tiny like stars. Awesome. Thanks so much. And it's just interesting to see, like maybe because you didn't go in a formal way, you sort of veered in a lot more creative direction than maybe the other, the other people have done and myself included. Um, very cool. Thanks. That was whatever fear invents, uh, Brent, Brent Stoffer. Thanks, Brent. Thank you so much, Tim. I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Rena was amazing. She, I, I had she never is. Yeah. Heard yeah. Of her, and I'm going to go get some of her books for yeah. sure. Yeah, I don't know how people... Yeah. Like, I really feel like she really should be one of the most famous poets. I, I, you know, the thing is, I think um, unless you become the poet laureate, you know, like she should be yeah. the poet laureate of yeah. the United States and then she would I mean, get the fame I, that she deserves, yeah. She, she, she won the T.S. Eliot. Mm-hmm. She, she won the Richard Wilbur. You know, it's like, it's how do, have I not heard of her? I know, um, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She She's like a legend. You've so done us all a great yeah, well, awesome. Well, yeah, check and out her book. I learned a She's... lot from, from, from her talking. She just drops wisdom like there's a stream of it. Yeah, well, I think she's I think she's 88 years old and, well, and um, has been really a master of poetry for, for most of that time. Right. So that's a lot of wisdom um, piled up in Rena wow. P.S. Palat's mind. Yeah, yeah. Yes. All right, cool. Well, thanks. Thanks, great. Brent. Yeah, talk to you soon. Okay. Hey, good night. Thanks, Tim. Bye. Okay, um... Let's call up, you know, what? I mean, we might be able to get to everybody um, if we really, if we do sort of a speed round. Let's call up um, Michelle Parks and try not to, we'll try to do it quick. It's 7.30 for me, which means we've been going for 90 minutes. But we have, um, hey, Michelle, good to see you today. Um, are you in? There you are, yeah. Hello, Michelle, how are you doing tonight? I am awesome sauce. How are you doing? I'm awesome sauce too. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's my favorite word. <laughs> well, I like that word. Um, so your poem. Um, let me um, really quick. I don't want to. Let me paste it into a word document really quick. Um, oh, that's cool. So, so what was your favorite, um, or what was your favorite song that you wrote about? It's actually a very new song. It came out this year. And I, when I heard it, my son introduced it to me, Piers, after Piers Anthony. Um, it's Fat Rat called We'll Meet Again. Mm. And I immediately added it to my funeral list because when I'm gone, I have to have a funeral because we have to celebrate um, my mm -hmm. journey. So I have a poem that I wrote for my funeral. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. But it's not okay. done yet. It's a work okay. in progress. So this is intertwined, um, and it's ready uh, yeah. whenever you are. Okay. I see each of you now in all of our moments, relived and reliving as time is no mind. Time is not what holds us together. These roots go much deeper. These branches grow wider. Our limbs are stronger than we ever considered. 
I consider you so much more. I have not left you. I am in the breaking of dawn as you meet the day. I am in the eyes of new loves, the soft touch on your cheek. I am always with you. Between then and now and what's to come, I am not lost. Find me in deep breaths. I am part and parcel of our universe. We will meet and meet and meet again. Find me in the mystical nights. As light as a limb, as joyful as moonlight. Here, there, everywhere, always. I will be waiting. Say your names, love. Speak truths and embrace. No one will meet again and again. We'll meet again. Oh. And that's for We'll Meet Again by Fat Rat. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll have to look up that poem or, or song. I mean, um, but beautiful as always. Thanks so much yeah. for sharing that. Inter intertwined. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to post it. Yeah, yeah, please do post a link in the comments so everyone else can hear that. Yeah. Thank okay, you, love. Yeah, yeah Michelle. Okay, um, let's jump. So we have, I think we have two people left. We have uh, Cameron Gray and Angela Gartner. Let's call up Cameron Gray. Hello. Hey, Cameron, it's Tim from Did you want to share your prompt poem? I did. Um, I had a lot of fun with this, I'm going to admit. Uh, my favorite song, or my so-called favorite song I picked was Alice's Restaurant Grand Massacree by Arlo Guthrie. It came out in 1967. It's hilarious. It is political. He talks about the draft. If you haven't heard it, I suggest you look it up, and I'm going to read it now. It looks like a lot, but it's a speed read, and I'm going to zip through it. Okay, cool. Go ahead. Yeah, whenever you're ready. Okay. I stole the line, Officer Obi, I cannot tell a lie. I will tell you this is a true story, except for the fact that the officer's name was not Officer Obi. So, <laughs> Officer Obi, I cannot tell a lie. Now, it all started in winter, several winters ago, when my rusty, trusty old Ford and me decided to head into town. The roads were icy and slippery for my balding tires. On this particular occasion, I had misjudged the amount of play in my oversized steering wheel, which was usually about three inches to the left or the right. So when I began to lose control of that 79 and she slipped off the road, there was not much to be done. Luckily, I had a stop sign. Just plowed right over it. It slowed my, down my philosophy just enough that I was able to park right on top of the sign for hours. Hours. That's how long it takes to be rescued in modern-day society, which is an amazing improvement from past societies. I watched a dozen of cars go by, big trucks with winches, police cars without missions. A woman in a tiny car full of tiny humans was the only one who stopped to offer me help. No, ma'am, help is on the way. Help was on the way. It just takes a few hours sometimes in modern-day society. While I waited, I questioned the stop sign. After about 45 minutes of interrogation, I came to the conclusion that that sign wasn't stopping anybody anymore. I crawled under the, my battle cruiser and freed the sign from its post, tucked it neatly behind the seat, and continued to wait. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. It was several months later that I was driving some friends home late one evening in my rusty, trusty Ford. I happened to be speeding, but of course I didn't realize. My dash lights were out, and my speedometer was a bit of a guessing game in the daytime. So when I saw blue lights, I stopped. Once Officer Obi confirmed me and my friends were who we claimed to be, he asked if I had anything illegal in the truck. 
So I said the worst thing I possibly could. No, officer, not that I know of. And they made us all step outside the vehicle. We were individualized, breathalyzed, and immobilized with handcuffs. And after about 45 minutes in the back of a squad car, they were able to destroy the inside of my old 79. After all that searching, they finally agreed on a souvenir to bring back to the man in charge. What can you tell me about that stop sign behind the seat? I said, Officer Obi, I cannot tell a lie. I put that stop sign behind the seat. Kid, that's a felony charge, potential manslaughter. I said, whoa, officer, I bought that stop sign at the flea market. He said, can I see the receipt? I said, you mean to tell me you didn't find it after all that rummaging you done through the cab? No way I could find it now, surely, if you boys didn't. So I got to spend the night in jail. After a few weeks later, I went to court. Smart kid that I was, I got a lawyer. Told him about buying the sign at the flea market, and he pretended to believe me and didn't ask for the receipt. My case was presented to the judge, and I was released with a misdemeanor and a fine of $500. That's right, $500 for a stop sign, and they didn't even let me keep it. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. A few months ago, I was wandering around the indoor flea market. Sometimes you find something you don't need but simply can't live without. I turned the corner to see not one, but three giant red octagons with white reflective letters that read, Stop. I checked the price tags. $15 a piece. $15. Could you imagine? For just $15, $45, you could have three felonies. I shook my head and thought, Save your seat, kid. <laughs> that was awesome. What a story. And we have this picture, too. Um that the Cameron Grace sent to go along with the poem with all these stop signs. That um, will corroborate my story. This is an actual <laughs> thing that happened to me. <laughs> that was, and, that was uh, really fun. Yeah, thanks I so wrote much for it, I wrote it in I wrote it in Alice's Restaurant, Grand Massacre style. Like I said, if you haven't heard the song, if you ha- you should look it up, and then it'll make this a lot more sense. <laughs> it's kind of a rambling story. Yeah. But, well, that was really cool. Thanks so much for sharing that, Cameron. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for letting me read it. I know it was long. <laughs> no, it was good. It was great. Have a nice night. Thank you. And, and sorry, to, sorry to Cameron and everybody watching uh, along. My my screen froze, so I was trying to unfreeze it. So we got the wrong poem, and I couldn't find the right place in the poem as we were listening. But um, what a wonderful poem and story that was. Um, now, I think the only one left... Let me make sure I have everybody. Um... Oh, there's a 207 number. You know what? Let's just, I want to get to everybody. I'm kind of in the mood to get to everybody today. Let's um, let's do this 207 number, and then we'll also get um, Angela Gartner, too, and then we'll get everybody, I think. Let me scroll one more time. Okay, yeah. I'm going to get everybody. It's still not school nights yet. My kids can stay up a little late. Hey, it's Tim with the Rattle. Did you want to share a poem? I would love to, yeah. Thank and, you and so much. Who am I talking to? Oh, I'm so sorry. It's David Leo Sirwa. I sent uh, an email on Wednesday. Okay, uh, let me uh, uh, let me try to find it. Sure, it was the day after you <laughs> gave the prompt. Oh, it was way. Oh, there we go. Yeah, it is way back there. Okay, so six days ago. Um, yeah. And so, what was your your favorite poem that you sang about Joy Division? I see. Yeah, level terrace apart. Yeah, let me uh, put this in. I mean, I shouldn't put it in the word document. I'm trying to not accidentally show people's like email addresses and phone numbers and stuff. Um, 
Let's see. Okay, so uh, so I don't even know. You know, I'm I'm not a, a big music person, and I, I've heard Joy Division many times. The title I don't know what they sound like, but um, is my timing that flawed? From Will Love Terrace Apart. Oh, I think I know Will Love Terrace Apart. Okay, so maybe I'm not as ignorant as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, go ahead whenever you're ready. Okay, is my timing that flawed? I know God is timeless. A diamond without flaws. But man, his timing is flawless. While I weed my precious fields of words and gently tend my flock of dogs, I ponder Paul Valéry, translated by me. Splendid dog, keep the idolater out. Solitary, with the smile of a shepherd, I graze for long moments my mysterious sheep, the white flock of my tranquil tombs, ward off the prudent doves, vain dreams, curious angels. Suddenly, bombs of responsibility explode all around me. That keeps me busy. Damage control, gravel soup for the soul. It distracts me from my path and its poetry babies, simple epiphanies, or as another French poet named Paul put it, the unbroken chain of dawns in the brain. The mind's a wild garden. We have the tools to tame, must cultivate wakefulness. It roots out all weeds, false thoughts I take so seriously. It so happens I am sick of being unenlightened man. Many don't believe in God. I don't believe in matter or in belief for that matter. Our inner experience matters. 33 degrees of Shiva vibes. Everything's electric. Sometimes I wonder if I don't want to wake up. What am I getting out of not being liberated? Don't I want to see the universe as supremely blissful light? Do I like the droning note of worry? Does it make me feel alive? Or would I rather become a professional regret collector, connoisseur of antique guilts gilded with overthinking, a specialist in useless speculation, keeper of luxurious illusions and expensive delusions, who owns an estate of highly prized bad memories, rooms with guest beds for resentments, Closets of unforgotten, unforgiven pains. Difficult to attain diamonds of unique opinion. And the blue souvenirs of bad timing. I once wore the odor of a soul gone sour. Too busy with addictions to notice the needs of those around me. I will waste nothing. Recycle the bottles stored in my head. Turn my past into a tragicomic epic poem. I've got enough tough shovels to break the crust of dirty thoughts. A spade for every silly weed, and I will water the plot of better habits. A plume flared behind my ear, where I will, where I will indubitably hear the muse. As great poet saints say, awakeness always sways amidst the overcrowded garden of the heart 
Uh, thanks so much. That was uh, that's my timing that flawed. Um, yes. By uh, David Leo Siroy. Is that how you say it? Sirwa. Sirwa. Okay. Yeah. 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 Thanks so much for sharing that, David. That was a lot of great Thank lines you. in that poem. I love the Valerie translated by me. That was probably my favorite little bit. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. Have a good night. Thanks a million. Yep. Bye. Bye. Okay. Let's let's close it out with um, Angela Gartner. Hey, hey, Angela. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I just good. Kinda... How are you doing tonight? I'm <laughs> good. All the are so good tonight. They so. are. Yeah, this was a fun prompt. It was a challenging prompt until you started writing it. That was my experience. That, like Thinking of like what my favorite poem might be and then what line you want to use uh, once you do. Not, not, I keep saying poem. That's, you know, song. <laughs> but, but figure out what you want to do with it once you figure out it, too. It's, it was tricky, but it was fun once you did it. Yeah, I mean, I had problems, too, thinking of what I wanted to do. But then I got inspired by um, the, the song I chose was um, from a band called The Tragically Hip. They're a Canadian band. And um, actually, the lead singer, Gord Downey, was a poet. And he died of brain cancer in 2017. Oh, really? And um, he was just, you know, amazing. I mean, it's, it's it kind of uh, to us, like, you know, he was, you know, I kind of put in the poem, he was like our youth. Like, you know, you, you grow up with bands as a couple, and that was one of the mm -hmm. bands we grew up with. And, you know, Gord was not just a singer-songwriter, but he also was a poet. And it's kind of about him and his last tour. We had tickets to go to London, um, Ontario, for, like, you know, in Canada, to go to um, London for his last tour, but we didn't get to go. But, like, his last song... And Kins in Kingston was um, ahead by a century. So this was, you know, I took a line of his was a was um, with illusions of someday. So it's just, you know, it was just a powerful tour. And um, you know, the tragically happened. I'm sorry to all the Canadian fans if I screw anything <laughs> up with him because I know he, he's like a rock icon in Canada. But like, you know, we got to see him here in little venues, but. We actually, in 2000, we saw him at, in Canada, in Toronto. Uh, that was like, you know, when New Year's Eve happened, 2000, that was, in New Year's Day, we were there in Toronto and like at the Bell Center. It was just like the most amazing thing ever. So, um, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, very cool. Yeah, thanks. Go ahead. This is a Dionysus. Yeah, this is... Um, so this wasn't Dionysus. This was... Oh, I had the wrong poem up. <laughs> okay, let me try to find... Um, August 4th. Oh, yeah, I scrolled back so far for... Um... Okay, so this was With Illusions of Sunday. Actually, I don't have this poem. The email was blank. So you're just going to have to read it. Okay, I'll just read okay. it because I know it's not... Sorry no, about no that. I... Um... With illusions of someday ahead by a century by the tragedy. It was a shark opening its mouth wide to swallow him. We all swam with him in the grim diagnosis. The man who lifted our spirits was sinking slowly beneath the waves of life. The poet, with a feather in his cap and jaws t-shirt. He wasn't giving in, fighting till his last breath for the rhymes and words he could still give to our fading world. And he did. He gave one final bit of himself to the ones he loved and his fans. His voice rang out with songs of our youth at the end and made us wish for another century with him. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, 
It's a great, great story too to go with it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Not from thanks. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Bye. Okay, so I said I get to everybody, and um, I forgot, or I didn't see this one. Um, Jessica Dawson called in too. Let's do Desha Dawson really quick. I think this is over the phone. We have a poem, The Movement. So the phone is ringing. I moved my mic if nobody noticed. I need to like move the lights now because now I get weird shadows on my face. Hey, Jessica, it's Tim. Did you want to share your poem? I thought, <laughs> I was like, Angela, <laughs> it's got to be the last one. <laughs> yeah, I know. But then I saw there was only, you know, one left and I didn't want to like leave one person out. So, so let's do it. Oh, thank you. Okay. Um, hold on. It's, Loading. My computer seems super weird tonight. Okay. okay. Yeah, no problem. Uh, well, well, usually you jinx my computer and then it freezes. So we'll see if that, I know. I'm it, such bad luck. At least on Sundays um, that happens. Um, okay. So this is The Movements Were Beautiful All in Your Ovaries. <laughs> Interesting title. What What was your favorite song and what was this about? Um, this is one of my favorite songs and it's from the band Neutral Milk Hotel. Never and it's heard of um, called Oh Come Ali. Oh, cool. We'll have to look uh, that up later too. I, I think you might like it. I mean, I don't know what your music taste is outside of heavy metal, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could look it up. It's really good. Okay, I will. Um, okay, so the movements were beautiful all in your ovaries. Sometimes over dinner, your fork accidentally scrapes the plate, and you tell me how old our child would have been by now, and I say nothing. I do nothing. When we have sex, I remember the way your body used to move under me with aggressive teenage love. And I wonder if you are thinking about the baby we formed decades ago, trying to remember the silly and forgettable name we gave it before we paid the doctor to take it out of you. We used to laugh. I never saw you cry once, even when it was all over. And now we try and we try. And we keep trying to have that same accident on purpose because we are ready to combine our hearts into one perfect being. But now the white, sterile walls feel like they're mocking us as you wait in your see-through gown on that crunchy paper. My hands have begun to mold onto yours as the clock clicks over the same news from the same doctor about another child we will never know in person. And under this light, this painful, pale fluorescence, you're as beautiful as ever as we say goodbye to another one. Oh, beautiful poem. Thanks so much. That was Jessica Dawson again with uh, The Movements Were Beautiful All in Your Ovaries. Thanks, Jessica. That was a really powerful, touching poem. Thanks for sharing that. I feel bad for leaving this uh, show on a sad note. Um, <laughs> well, I will do yeah. something something dumb, I'm sure, and then that'll leave it on a light note. So that's how it usually works. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thanks for getting to me. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Have a good night, Jessica. You too. Bye. Okay, so, yeah, that was the show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Rena P.S. by uh, Wonderful as always. Great open mic poems. Thanks to everybody who shared it. Yeah, I got to get... I have to put a new light on this side now if I'm going to move. And to tell you the truth, it's because I have a TV over here, and I never use it, but um, now there's baseballs back. So um, the, the mic was getting in my way of the baseball. So, so I had to move my mic. Um, but now I need a light over this side. Um, anyway, so why do I keep doing that? Now this week's um, prompt, or for next week, is going to be, here we go. Oops. Um there write a poem that is entirely dialogue that is next week's prompt write a poem that is entirely dialogue and there's one um caveat i guess i could say it's you actually have two weeks to write this poem because uh, next week's show um is uh august 18th is megan's birthday and i didn't want to do a birthday show um for megan 
um, and you know, we want to do something fun, family oriented for the for Megan's birthday. So um, I had this this interview um, with Paul E. Nelson from um, that was published in print in Rattle Number Sixty Eight, the summer's issue. And I think this is going to be the way we do it from now on uh, in the print issues is that we'll do it over Skype because why not? And who wants to travel right now? Um, but then we have these videos that we can share that is the interview from print. So if you want to know how it feels to, you know, if you read it first in the issue and uh, you can see how close, you know, how little we edited um, next week, that will be, let me put it on the screen for everybody. That's next going to be next week's guest, Paul E. Nelson uh, from that's going to be Rattlecast number 54. Um, and what we did is we did the interview just like it appears in print. Um, and then we added, I just called him this morning and he read some poems too. So we're going to mix in some poems as well. So you'll hear some of Paul Nelson's poetry and then you'll hear the actual uh, interview with him that appeared in rattle number 68. That is next week, uh, Tuesday, August 18th, 9 PM Eastern time. I uh, hope to see you then. Uh, as always, we will do the critique of the week on Friday. And we will do the quick open mic show for about a half an hour, 45 minutes, every Sunday morning at uh, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. That is Poets Respond Live, an open mic for um, poems about current events. So I hope you can join us for that. As always, we try to have as much uh, programming as possible over here at Rattle. And um, we hope you enjoy. But next week, once again, Paul E. Nelson. And it's going to be pre-recorded, so there are going to be no... um, you know, of course, there's no way to ask questions of Paul because it's happened in March. And um, there's going to be no um, open mic or prompt poem. So this week's prompt, which was write a poem that is entirely dialogue, will be uh, you can share your poems in two weeks with uh, Amit Majmadar. So um, that will be episode 55. Uh, so if you're following along at home next week, it'll be premiere. It'll feel like it's live, but it won't actually be live. But hopefully everybody can gather around and enjoy um, Paul E. Nelson next week, Tuesday, August 18th. I will see you then. In the meantime, have a great week and uh, stay safe. Goodbye.